Father, I pray that you would cultivate that attitude within us, that we would give thanks in all circumstances, knowing that you are in control. You are a God that loves us. No matter what we do, you will always love us, God. I pray that we would grow, that we would learn in your grace and in your sufficiency for us in all times in life. We thank you for the blessings. We thank you for the trials. You are a good God. You are a great God. I pray that we would see you for who you are this morning. And in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, may we be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. It's great to see so many here. It seems like in the summer there's people on vacation and you're missing people from week to week. And uh, so it is really encouraging to see so many here today. And if you turn your Bibles to Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. You know, as, as Bob mentioned, we are really excited uh, for this, this new construction project and this new phase that we're entering at Cornerstone. You know, we want everyone to hear again and again that our, our desire, our, our goal for, for having a, a building, to having a place to meet, is not just for ourselves. Our goal is that this building would be for the community, that this would be a place where we can bring people in, where we can minister to kids through Awana, through uh, having a gym night, through all kinds of things that we haven't even thought of yet, of, of ways that we can use this, this building for God's glory and for God's purposes. And, and we are just, again, just so thankful for uh, the support and the spirit of unity and, and are just excited to, to get started on that. You know, the, the book of, of Philippians, um, one of the major themes of this book is another kind of renovation project that is going on. In Philippians 1, verse 6, it says, I am sure this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, if you have trusted in Jesus, there was a process that has begun in your life. A process of change, a renovation project of your heart where the Holy Spirit comes in, lives inside of us, empowers us to live out what God wants. And you know, this is a major theme of the book of Philippians. You can see this if you look a little farther in chapter 1. Paul, who's writing from prison and and is maybe a little unsure about what's going to happen to him, says this. If I am to live in the flesh, that means what? Fruitful labor for me. What does fruitful labor mean? We read on a little bit farther. He says, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Look at that. Why? What was fruitful labor for Paul? Why did he say it is more necessary for me to stay with you? It says for your progress and your joy in the faith. And if I, had to, if I had to boil down the book of Philippians to one theme, I think it, you could contain it right there. The book of Philippians is Paul's letter to, to this church to help them with the progress and joy of their faith. 
progress and joy of their faith. You know, in the, uh, in the construction projects gone bad file, I, I don't know of anything worse than this. There probably is. But I think the poster child is actually here right in the state of Iowa. Uh, I think it's outside of the town of Eldon. A $25,000, go ahead to the next uh, slide, I think. 25,000 square foot house. It was slated to cost $9 million. Now, after this thing was half done with like $5 million put into it, the owners who, or the builders who happened to be uh, Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr, divorced. And in the, in the whole process of this, this project was completely abandoned, just, just left. And, and as you can see now, uh, there's another picture. This place has is, is completely just fallen apart. And it's this massive structure, just all this concrete, all this, all this work, you know, the, the framework all in place. And, it, and I think it's been abandoned since like 1994 or something like that. And, you know, if, if you're interested in some kind of a Exploring expedition is a, is a place to go take a look at. Um, you know, but thinking of this idea of, of the progress of our faith and, and what Paul is wanting to see in our lives and what ultimately Jesus wants to see in our lives, he wants to see progress in our faith. We do not want to end up as a stalled out uh, building that is just overgrown with weeds, it, using an analogy. And so, as we think about this, we're, we really want to ask this question. Am I seeing progress in my faith? As I look back over the last year, two years, five years, is there any change happening in, in my life? And if there is or if there's not, the book of Philippians is the place to go to find out what progress and joy in the faith looks like. You know, I think, I think this, this book has some of the richest insights and truths about how we are supposed to grow in our faith. And so we're going to read, starting in chapter 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. What is Paul saying here? He says, work out your own salvation. What is, it, what is he talking about? What is he saying when he, when he tells us to work out our own salvation? And we might be tempted to say, well, that, is, that means that we are supposed to, to earn, earn our favor with God. That means that we are supposed to work to become accepted by God. 
And I think it's important to note right at the beginning that salvation, when we talk about the, the term salvation, there are, there are three aspects to that. There is a past aspect to salvation. There is a present aspect to salvation. And there is a future aspect to salvation. And just very quickly, the past. You know, if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have trusted in, in his work on the cross, there is a, a decisive act where God says, you are justified. You are right. You are not guilty of the sins that you have committed. Those have been placed on Christ. And immediately at that moment, we are brought into God's family. We are brought into his kingdom. We are brought into his program. That's the past aspect of salvation, if we have accepted Christ. And then there's the present aspect of salvation. That as of this moment, right now, there's a work that God's doing in my life that is not done. It is continuing today, tomorrow, next month, next year, till the end of our lives, until we see Christ. Until either he comes back to take us to himself, or we pass away. And again, that's that, going back to verse 6, that he who began a good work in you, that's the past, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The completion is in the future. So right now, we are in the middle of those two things. He's begun the work, he's working on us, and he will bring it to completion. You know, one way to remember this is that we have been saved in the past from the power of sin. Or sorry, from the penalty of sin. We're being saved now from the power of sin, in the future, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. The three aspects of salvation. And so right here, it's important to see that what, what Paul's talking about is this present moment, this now moment of salvation. And, and you know, how, how, where, do we, where do we get that from? Well, I think the biggest clue is that he says, you're to work out your salvation. You're not working for your salvation. In other words, there's something already inside of us. There's something that we already possess. A righteous standing where God says, you know what? I am not counting your sin against you. I see you as clean and righteous. That, that is a reality inside of us that needs to work itself out into the way we live. That needs to evidence itself in the choices we make every day. In the way that we treat each other. In the way that we, we pursue the priorities and the, and the passions and all these things that we do with our lives. That reality needs to be worked out. It needs to come out into our lives. And so you say, well, what does it mean? What is this working out? Well, I think very simply, you can summarize it as obedience. That's what he says in verse 12. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. You know, you expect him to say, continue to obey. But he, he phrases it another way. Another way of, to view obedience is to work out our salvation, to take that reality and live it out in our lives. Another way to think about it, you know, this chapter is, uh, the, these, these verses are in this whole context of what Tim talked about last week, of, of this idea of being humble, of being Christ-like. And that's what it actually says in, in, in 2, earlier in the chapter. It says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Working out our salvation is growing to become like Christ. It's progress in the faith. Making progress in the faith. Now, here's something to, to keep in mind. Just the very word work, okay? This is not a passive, sit back, relax, wait for it to happen kind of thing. 
And if this verse isn't enough to, to drive that point home, uh, I just call your mind, you don't need to turn there, but a couple others. Is in 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight. That's a, that, that is a, a, a verb that implies using our effort, using our strength, using all that is within us to fight the fight of faith. In 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, as Peter talks about this, this great inheritance that we've received, if we've trusted in Christ, he says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, listen to this, and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible for us to be ineffective and unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul does not want to happen. He says, work out your salvation. You know, put yourself into this. This is not something to sit back and just wait for this change to happen to our lives in, 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 in this kind of osmosis way. And he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is he talking about? What, what does he mean by fear and trembling? It's not this, this jittery kind of nervousness. There's a good kind of fear. And you read about this in the Old Testament when in, in the book of Proverbs where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is a reverence. This is a, a, this is a viewing yourself in a right relationship to God saying, God, you have created me. You are above me. You own me. I am going to have a fear of who you are and the power that you possess. I think another way to think about this is humility. In other words, Paul just got done talking about pointing and saying, look at Jesus, look what he did. Though he was equal to God, he did not consider that something to be grasped, but he took on the form of, of a servant. And so, if Jesus did that, then we should fear God. We should be people marked by humility and a reverence for who God is. You know, I think there's one other aspect of this, of this fear that, that comes out in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's kind of a similar thought. Paul says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? This is a verse that we kind of talked about as we talked about the spiritual disciplines. But he says, run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You think about Paul. Here's this guy who is doing these great things for God, and he says, you know what, I do not want to get to a point where I feel I've been disqualified. Where through some failure of, of, of sin in my life, that this prize, this reward that I'm seeking after from God, that I somehow forfeit that. He talks about the same thing in Philippians 3 where he says, Many whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
So at this point, you guys, you know, if you're reading through this chapter and you're saying, man, this is, this sounds, this is kind of heavy, this is kind of scary, this is kind of weighty. And, that, and that's true. But I'm so thankful that this passage does not end after verse 12. Okay? And if, I, if you were just reading verse 12 and you didn't know what comes next, you might expect the next verse to say, or else. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, or else. And that's not what Paul says. This is pure gospel right here. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, this is a, this is a hope-centered truth. If I did not know that the all-powerful God of the universe was working in me, I would lose hope a lot of days. Because what happens is we're very aware of our shortcomings. We're very aware of our failures and our sins. And we can become too, too focused on ourselves. I was just talking to Tristan, and he said, there's a difference between uh, inspecting our lives and being introspective about our lives. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means yet, but... but <laughs> This, is, this concept of, uh, of knowing that God is working in our lives, what a, what a hope, what a comfort that is. Because that means that even in the times when we fail, that we know, you know what, God is still working in our lives. If it was just me, I would say, you know what, I know I can't do this, I'm just going to give up. But to know that God is working gives us a hope a hope that change is, is possible in our lives. You know, I think this truth is humility-producing. Um, and, and this is something that Mark is going to talk about more next week, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this point. But I will say this. You know, I don't want you to have the impression that Christians are the only people that are, are trying to progress and grow as a person. You know, anyone you talk to probably has a belief framework and they are hoping to progress and to grow in that. And every religion that you study says, you know what, there is a progression to your life. And, and people are, are striving to climb whatever you know, ladder or system that, that they believe in. But here's what makes Christianity different than all the other ones. Christianity says that the God of the universe is working in you. And, you know, if, if you are, are embarking on some self-improvement program and it's all you, and maybe you make some progress, you think, man, that's really cool, that's really great. But, but if it's only you doing this thing, what, what's the result going to be? You're actually going to be a person who begins to look down on other people who have not attained to the level of what you've done. You actually will become, in your heart of hearts, uh, have a hold to a kind of a pride that says, look at what I've attained, look what I've done. Look at the progress that, that my life has reached. Well, Christianity says the only reason that we make any progress, the only reason that our effort actually does anything, is because God is working in us. Isn't that cool? And, and so how ridiculous, of it, how ridiculous would it be for us to take any kind of pride or satisfaction and point to ourselves and say, look at, what I did. look at what I've done. Look at what a great person I am. No, it is God who works in you 
not only to, to accomplish things, not only to give you the energy, but to even give you the desire to please him. Think about that. If you have a desire to please God right now, if you have a sense of, un, of, of dissatisfaction with where you are, with where your life is, you know what? That is God putting that desire in your heart right now. If you have a desire to say, if, if you feel frustration at your sin, if you feel um, sometimes disillusioned with where you're at, who's, where does that desire come from? That comes from God. And so there is no room for any kind of pride if we understand this truth, that it is God who works in us, both to will and to work. And for what? For his good pleasure. That's another amazing truth that, think about it, that God works in us and he takes pleasure in it. He doesn't, you know, sometimes I, I, I might help my kids and, and get them dressed for the day and, and sometimes it, I, I might do that with a little bit of a begrudging attitude. All right, you know, let's, let's get your clothes on and they're fighting against me and I'm putting it on. And, and at the end of that process, I, I don't have a lot of pleasure maybe. I, I, I would say I'm probably not always a joyful person at that moment. But God is working in us, not out of a spirit of, all right, you know, I guess I'll, I'll get this slacker whipped into line. He is taking pleasure in this process of changing us, of molding us, of making us more like Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the thing about this, this, these two verses, that I don't, this is a mystery. Okay, how this works out is something that people are always talking about and, and debating and trying to figure out how the ins and outs work. Well, how does it work that if God's really working in us, then how does it matter what I do? Or other people, you know, people tend to emphasize one side or the other of this. Some people say, well, it's, it's really about your effort. It's really about your perseverance and your strength and your fight. And if you, if you go to that side, again, you end, up as a, as you end up in a prideful spot. And you end up in a spot where, really, if you're doing it out of your own strength, then you're not producing the kind of fruit that God wants out of your life. You're not doing it in a Holy Spirit-enabled way. On the other side, if someone, say, if someone just says, you know what, my effort, it doesn't really matter. The important thing is that God is working in me. Then you're going to sit back and be very passive. And you're actually by your passiveness, not trusting in God. You know, I heard an analogy. If you, if you say that you uh, trust your doctor and you go to see your doctor and he, and he gives you a prescription and you take that prescription home and, and decide, I, I'm not going to fill this. I don't need this. If you, if you don't obey your doctor, you really don't trust your doctor. And if you say that you trust Jesus, but you aren't obeying the prescriptions that he has for your life, and do you really trust him? It's the same thing. And so this is a mystery. This, is, this goes along with the, the, the mystery of how, how is it that Jesus is fully God and fully man? And how is it that God inspired the scriptures word for word, but he also used these men to write in their own personalities and in their own styles? This is one of these deep mysteries of the faith. But our job is to say, God, I know that both these things are true. I know that you work through my effort. You work through my, through my strength. You work through my desire to, to, to serve you. But when it's done, I give all the glory to you because you gave me that desire. You gave me the strength to even perform what you wanted me to do. 
And I think one story that kind of captures this really well is Luke, from Luke chapter 5. And you remember the story well. Uh, Jesus is teaching in a crowded house, and there's a paralyzed man who wants to come in and, and be healed. And he gets some friends to carry him up onto the roof of the house, and they cut out a hole in the roof, and they lower the man down. And Jesus has this interaction with him. In Luke 5, starting in verse 20, Jesus, it's, this is talking about Jesus. He says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. You know, Jesus comes to every one of us, and he says, pick up your bed. Now, is that not something that we need to do? But we're like the paralyzed man. If God did not give us the strength to do what he commanded us to do, we'd still be on that bed. But Jesus comes to us and he says, pick up your bed. And how silly would it be for us to pick up the bed, go outside and say, look at me, I stood up. I, I had this idea to, to go to this house and cut the hole in the roof and my friends all worked really hard and they got me there and they lowered lower me down. And I'm walking today because we had so much effort and so much strength. No, he walked away glorifying God. Because Jesus told that paralyzed man, pick up your bed and walk. And so that's how it is with us. God is calling on us to obey, to use our effort, to use our strength, to pursue him, not to sit back and, and to, to have a faith that's passive, not to sit back and say, I'm waiting for God to change me. God says, join me in the work that I want to do in your heart. Join me in that. And you know, what's the result of that? When we hear God's call to obey and we obey, great things are going to happen. Here's what it says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is back in Philippians 2. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. What happens if we live like this? Paul says, you are going to be like stars, like lights in the world, holding out the truth to the people around you. Isn't that what we want to be here? We want to be a group of people 
there are lights in Johnston that are holding out the truth to the people around us, the people that we work with, to our neighbors and our friends. That is ultimately what we want to be about. And I'm not going to go into detail on, on the rest of this chapter, but suffice it to say that you have, in the rest of chapter 2, three examples of people that live this out. There's Paul, who said he was poured out like a drink offering. There's Timothy, who Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then there's Epaphroditus, who, who Paul calls his brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And how would you like to be, how would you like to have someone say that about you? That you are a worker and a soldier for the gospel. In verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You know, we, we looked at the pictures of that house in Eldon and we say, man, what a waste that is. What a complete waste of time and effort and materials and money. I'll tell you what's a bigger waste. To come to Jesus and say, I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need to be changed. I can't do this on my own. I need the forgiveness that only God can give me. To take that forgiveness and then to just sit back and say, you know what? Everything's good. Everything's good. God wants me to change, but that'll happen. I'm not going to join into that with too much, too much of my blood, sweat, and tears. That's a greater waste than, than that house. And, and so the challenge for us this morning is, is, to, is to examine ourselves, but not to become people who are, who are marked by an inward folks, but people who are marked by a desire to look at Jesus. And that's the answer, to look to Jesus. Because he is the author and perfecter of our salvation. He is the one who began the work in us and who is carrying it to completion. And our, our task is to say, yes, I believe you, God, that you are working in my life. And I want to join you in that work. I want to be used by you. And I think that that's a, a godly prayer to pray. That's what Paul prayed for these, for these people in Philippi. He said, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. Uh, now we're going we're gonna to transition to a time of, of taking the bread and the, and the cup. And this is a chance for us to, to look at our lives. It's also a chance to look to Jesus and to say, I thank you, Jesus, that you paid the price for my sins. And now you give me the power to grow in my Christian life, to grow in godliness and holiness and, and in the defeat of sin. And so as, as Nick and the band plays, I, I would just encourage you to, to go to God. Again, admit to him your need for him. And, and, and ask for his help to become a person who is pursuing him, who is making every effort to grow in this Christian walk. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that the God of the universe is involved in our lives. God, that you do not stand far off with your arms crossed waiting for us to mess up, but that you even give us 
the desire, the desire to please you. And not just the will, but Lord, you work and you energize us to fulfill your purposes. Lord, if, if we're here today and, and we feel stuck in our Christian life, I pray that we would renew our, our resolve to look to Jesus. That we would just cry out to you and say, God, there's nothing in me that's good. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your help to change. But I want to change. And I want to be involved in that, God. Thank you for this bread and the cup. Simple reminders of what Jesus has done for us. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name.